Welcome aboard. This is Captain Rex from the cockpit. I know this is probably your first flight, and it's mine too. Well, it looks like we're going to have a smooth flight to Endor, so I'll go ahead and open the cockpit shield. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Carousel Project. Today, we are talking about something very 80s, very sci-fi, and I am so excited to get into it. But first, I'm Josie Maida, at Josie Maida on Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, everywhere, baby, come find me. And I am Kate Killebrew, and you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, anywhere there's a social platform, at Kate Killebrew. And I'm Adam. You can find me on all socials at Epcot Adam. Yeah, you can, baby. He is Epcot Adam. <laughs> Before we started this, we were talking about our introductions, and Adam was talking, and he said, you know, Josie, Kate, and then he referred to himself as his as Epcot Adam, not as Adam. <laughs> so that's his real name on his birth certificate now. Um, I'm going through a lot in life right now, so I just figured it's time to make a change. It is time to make a change. The I think front of your name. One. Okay, works. <laughs> you could. No one, right? No one could stop you from legally changing your name to Epcot Adam. If all these celebrities can name their kids after fruits and types of trees and stuff, I mean, why not Epcot? <laughs> Oh, That's it. We've gone so off the rails. We're going to start over our lives by literally changing our names. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this week, our question of the week is a hard one. Who is your favorite Star Wars character? Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so are we starting with Josie? I guess you guys are going to make me go first. Yeah, okay. definitely. So everyone knows that I'm prequels trash. I could go on about this forever. I absolutely love the prequels. I loved the prequels before it was cool to love the prequels. It's true. Like, I've always loved them. I've always gotten a lot of shit for loving them. And one of the bones I have to pick with the world at whole right now is that everyone craps on the prequels yet anytime I go to buy vintage prequel merch it's like $500 so which is it y'all do you like it or not um anyway I digress my favorite Star Wars character is the Queen Amidala she is my favorite um she's been my favorite since I was a little girl um but then also Anakin because young Anakin was my first like celebrity crush which everyone, when I say that, they think it's weird, but I'm like, I was also six at the time. It was an age-appropriate crush. Like, it, yeah. it wasn't like, um, and then Hayden Christensen is like one of my lifelong celebrity crushes. So, Anakin, I would say, is the sexiest, but he murdered a lot of kids. So, I'm going with Queen Amidala as my favorite, as the number one spot, because she never murdered a single child. And for that, she wins. <laughs> Josie, can we put a link to that picture of your Halloween costume of you as Queen Amidala as a kid? Because it's oh my like God. my favorite picture. <laughs> yes. We you need to put that in the, the show craziest notes. Thing, the craziest thing is that, so Renee, my boyfriend, his mom throws the craziest birthday parties through the craziest birthday parties every year for them as kids. And like the same time that I dressed up as Queen Amidala, Renee had a episode one birthday party and dressed up as Anakin Skywalker and had like this insane Star Wars episode one birthday party. Both of his sisters dressed up as Queen Amidala. He was dressed up as Anakin. There was a giant, I think, Darth Vader pinata, like bigger than him. And he loved 
episode one as a kid. I can't get him into Star Wars now, but he, like, we went through his school stuff from when he was a kid, and we found, like, papers he wrote for school about Star Wars. And then, you know those books where you can put your name in them? Like, where your parents could, like, so he had one about Star Wars episode one, but he was put into it as if he was, like, friends with Anakin Skywalker (gasps) and was helping him save the galaxy. It is the cutest book. It has his names, all his siblings' names. It is adorable. So, yes, I will put it in the show notes. It is a great picture. It's a match made in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) (laughs) I wish he was a Star Wars fan now. I can't believe I got him into Marvel and not Star Wars. We're still working on it. There's still time. Yeah, I I thought I had no pictures of that. And it was my aunt who I honestly don't like talk with that much not for any particular reason you know just life but anyway she was the one who sent me those pictures and had those pictures of me as queen amidala as a kid wow that's awesome (laughs) so anyway as i went off into a tangent what are your favorite star wars characters um for me it would probably be c3po or chewbacca (laughs) i'm i'm basic but i don't know i i i should let everybody know I'm a fairly new Star Wars fan. Uh, my husband Nick and I did not watch any of the films until November of 2019 when Disney Plus launched. And we watched all of them basically in a month and a half. And we loved it and it was a good time. And actually we want to rewatch them all again pretty soon. But I, I felt it. like I really like I really related to C-3PO with some of the sassy things he says. I feel like he's really loyal and he also knows what he's talking about. I feel like I I get that vibe. And I he's also, super anxious. Yes, all and the he's time. Super, that's me. I'm and he felt, yeah, Kate is C-3PO. definitely a C-3PO. I'm changing your name in my phone to C-3PO. <laughs> and then for Chewie, you know, Chewie's just, he's he's my boy. Also, he gives me Rue vibes because Rue and him are both very furry. So that's me. They both like to make a lot of weird noises. That's true. <laughs> I, <laughs> Kate definitely is C-3PO. I don't know which Star Wars character I would be What about me? Like. That would be fun. What about you? Hmm. It's hard because Kate already said that Rue was like Chewbacca, but I don't know. Adam is such a good friend and is so loyal like I feel like C-3PO too. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like you'd be C-3PO. Hello, anxiety. Not wrong. Who amongst us isn't a little bit C-3PO every once in a while? It's true. Okay, Adam, so which are your favorite, your favorites? With an S or no S. Um, do we have like three hours? Because I could just list pretty much every <laughs> Star Wars character ever. But I'm going to go simple. Luke Skywalker. Because yeah. he's oh, yeah. just you the most amazing character. And I know the sequels have gotten a lot of hate. But I love that Mark Hamill came back and did that. Another character I really love, again, from the sequels, is Rey. Oh, yeah. And I don't know what it was, but her character just spoke to me. And I thought Daisy Ridley did an incredible job portraying her and all the conflict and the turmoil she was going through. And yeah, those are probably my two favorites. If we want to get really random (laughs) and obscure, I love Max Rebo. If you don't know who Max Rebo is, look him up. What about Kelly Marie Tran? Oh, yeah. What about what? Kelly. Oh, yeah. Should you talk about that? Yes, he should. Yeah, talk about it. (laughs) Okay, so Kelly Marie Tran, who played Rose Tico in The Last Jedi and also in The Rise of Skywalker, um, I know her. She was college roommates with my friend Lexi at UCLA, and we used to go to Disneyland all the time together back in the day. 
And yeah, it's just amazing that she got, you know, the role of a lifetime and got to join the Star Wars universe, which is my dream amongst millions of other people's dreams. Yeah, that's crazy awesome. And she also was Raya. Yes, right? I was going to say, are we going to throw out Raya? Which I still haven't seen. I need to see that movie still. Raya Same was here. very cute, but the only thing I, I found it very predictable. Oh, okay. But it was very cute, but I just felt like it reminded me of a bunch of other movies. Like when I watched it with Amelia, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this is what I think is going to happen next. Movie. And it reminds me of, <laughs> of um, Halloween Town. And this is going to happen next. And it reminds me of this storyline. But Ooh. very cute. I really liked it. And she did a great job. So my nieces loved it. Um, they keep raving about it, but they're mm -hmm. also very young. So they're, they're definitely going to love it. But anyway, so I need to watch it still, but back to star Wars. Um, and we're nine minutes in and we haven't even told you all the topic. <laughs> yeah. So the topic this week is star tours and you can guarantee that between star Wars and the fact that this is a Mikey era attraction, oh, we are going to go off on so many tangents and I'm so sorry because you know, when I listen to podcasts, I'm like, okay, get to it but then when I'm recording a podcast I'm like but wait I've been dying for you to bring that up because I was about to start talking about it so we're just having fun you know whatever but yes today we are talking about Star Tours and it got me thinking guys I really think we need to do an episode on like the entire Star Wars partnership Yes, we've talked about with this. Disney. We talked about this when we first were talking about the name of Carousel Project and all that. We had talked about like the Star Wars days that they used to do and like all the different things that they've they've done in the parks like with Star Wars. So yeah, we need to circle back to that for sure. Maybe we can try to plan it out to launch around May the 4th like next year or something. Ooh, that'd be for Star fun. Wars. Day. Look at me. I keep okay, everyone, ahead. get ready for May the 4th next year. <laughs> Synergy. Oh, man. Y'all crack me up. So I'm ready. I'm ready to dive I in. I think we're ready. Are we Are we going to go into light speed and make this happen? <laughs> light speed to Endor. Light speed to Endor. Yeah. <laughs> go. I'm ready. Oh, no. I'm not starting, right? Um, okay. Oh, I can. Yeah, start. Go, girl. Okay. So today we're talking about Star Tours, which opened on January 9th, 1987, and was added to Tomorrowland in Disneyland. That was where the first Star Tours was. As many of our listeners who are Disney fans may know, it's pretty much in like every park in the world now. Like it is a super, super popular attraction. And when it first opened, it was a just a gigantic moment for the Walt Disney Company. What it represented, it, it was just huge. Um, so it opened in 1987 in Tomorrowland, in Disneyland, and it cost $32 million at the time to make. So Adam, our handy dandy fact checker, can you check the conversion rate between $32 million and 1987? Um, so when it opened... I thought this was really cool. If any of you have watched uh, Disney's new Disney Plus behind the attraction, there was a Star Tours episode which came out a few, like we had already planned that we were recording this episode. We planned the seasons pretty far in advance, mm -hmm. um, but it was great to be able to watch, to be able to chat about here. And so George Lucas, do you know he went to Disneyland on the second day it was open? So Did you I, see that? That's I amazing. knew this, but for a different reason before behind the attraction came out, because when I do my research for my on this day in Disney history thing daily, it had down in the list for July 18th that he was there on like the public's opening day, like the day after the park opened. So 
I knew for that reason. But which yeah, I thought that was crazy. darn cool. So he had said in an interview, which is featured in Behind the Attraction, that he always thought that Tomorrowland needed a little more. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting because it goes back to what we've talked about in past episodes where we know that Tomorrowland, when Disneyland opened, was kind of the land that like was left like it had a couple shows and a couple different things but it really wasn't completed when they opened Disneyland so yeah yeah, this was right it it needed a lot and so it's cool that they were able to you know years later add this to Tomorrowland so let's talk about the opening first I think because it was a really unique opening and I I think we do some pretty big things today for an attraction opening, but nothing like this, which I think again is so like such a sign of the times, such a sign of the Mikey era, like craziness. Okay. So $32 million in 1987 is worth a little more than $76.5 million today. Wow. That's a lot of money. That's a big conversion. That's what she said. If that's the term. Well, um, so we want to talk about the opening stuff first. So I don't know if you guys found this in your research because I was looking just for the information kind of like from the behind the attraction event where they, which I'm, I know we're about to talk about, but anyway, I found that they had this event the night before it opened called the interplanetary launch, which when I watched another video researching for this, I assumed that that was the 60 hour, you know, opening event that they had that we're going to talk about in a minute. But apparently this took place the night before Thursday, January 8th, 1987 from 7 PM to midnight. And this event had like, Paper tickets with two detachable pieces on the ticket. The first part of the ticket had to be ripped off at the gate. If you didn't have it, you couldn't get in. The second part was for complimentary food. You could get a complimentary meal at either the Space Place or the Tomorrowland Terrace in Tomorrowland. The ticket also included complimentary parking, unlimited rides. Um, They specified that that did not include the arcades. But apparently, even more rare, there was a boarding pass that some people had were able to get. And it features, um, you know, the flight information for the attraction. But instead of the flight being Flight 45, like it was in the attraction, it was Flight 101 as an insider because apparently they use 101 as a code for rides that are offline. So the fact that it was like it still technically offline, it was called Flight Flight 101. But apparently they had like a skit going on that night between like Mickey and C-3PO. Yeah, because what are you going to do? Happened. You're, you're gearing yeah. up to have the park open for 60 hours and do a huge, yeah. gigantic launch in front of the world. What do you do before have an all-night party and so this is the like i saw one i I watched one video where they talked about two thousand lucky cast members who got to experience the ride before and Mm -hmm. just based on this information i'm i can't confirm because i was not a cast member back then but that's the only thing i'm thinking must have been this yeah maybe this was a cast event maybe this was the cast event before but anyway i thought that was interesting because we always hear about or we hear a lot about the 60 hour straight event and all of that that we're about to talk about the star wars ballet and all that but i thought this was cool because i saw the ticket and i was like why does it say january 8th this opened on the 9th and then i realized oh this was the night before so anyway random tangent i was one year and one month old when this all went down and i'm really just wondering why my parents didn't take me to this 
I'm wondering where your ticket got lost. Yeah. Maybe it got lost in the mail. Maybe. That's probably what happened. They really shrewded that one. (laughs) They did. They shrewded shrewded it. Shrewded it. What do you think that means? Um, So, yes. So, they had this really cool event the night before, which is awesome. Um, And then they had the park stay open for 60 hours to celebrate the attraction. So, not just 24 hours, you know, 60 hours hours so it stayed open from you know january 9th 1987 to january 11th at 10 p.m so that's crazy like we don't we don't see anything like that now not only with that i can't even imagine like that's not even just an impact to the operation of like that one attraction but the whole park was open for 24 hours because so many people wanted to be on this ride there were hour and hours and hours and hours long lines that went all the way down main street and so as kate talked about they had an opening ceremony celebration and in behind the attraction they even describe it as a star wars ballet and it had (laughs) popular characters like dancing all over the place um and i loved that mickey and minnie were there and they're like what you would think of as classically their epcot outfits like the shiny mylar silver outfits with the rainbow that's what mickey and minnie wore to the occasion which makes sense and sorry i was gonna say because how dare you speak adam (laughs) i was just gonna say it does make sense that they would reuse that costume again though because they would do the same thing you know 10 years later for the 25th when they were like kind of celebrating the new tomorrowland look in magic kingdom so maybe they were kind of relating it i guess just future in general but yeah i definitely thought epcot when i saw it Okay, I seriously love that set of pictures so much with C-3PO standing outside of the Star Tours at Disneyland and you know, right beside him is Epcot Mickey in his 80s rainbow attire. It's just the best thing ever and it's my worlds colliding and I truly couldn't love it more if I tried. It's so cute. Well, what I loved about that opening event was one that they cut the ribbon with a lightsaber, like how perfect, (laughs) but two, apparently like C-3PO, um, they were referring to Mikey and George Lucas as master Michael and master George, uh, Lucas. So I thought, or George, master George. So I thought that was like funny too like they were going with the theming of you know star of star <laughs> wars and everything but yeah the the choreography was very interesting to say the least um and it just goes to show like you said it's something that could have only happened during during a mikey era mikey said we're gonna have the first non-disney ip attraction in the parks we're gonna have a 60 hour opening day launch we're gonna have a ballet we're gonna have a ribbon cut with a lightsaber it's going to be amazing. And it was. I, I think it was legendary. Yes. Only something that could have happened with Michael Eisner. And I think that this is a great time to talk about how huge this was. So Star Wars was supposed to be nothing. Like when this movie came out, it really, like when it was being filmed, it was like kind of low budget. Sci-fi really wasn't like super popular yet. So Star Wars was supposed to be like a nothing movie. And then it exploded and was like, still is one of the biggest movies of all time. It completely changed the landscape for film. It was everywhere. Everybody saw Star Wars. 
Um, so everyone, including Disney, was trying to keep up from like a film production side. So in 1979, Disney came out with The Black Hole, which <laughs> did really bad. Um, and it was a sci-fi movie and it cost a lot of money. It did not perform well at all. So yeah. the original intention was that they were going to create a ride out of that movie. But the thing about making a ride from a movie is that it has to be one that people, you know, really like. And so it really wasn't an option. And so at this time, again, Michael Eisner, for those, you know, of our listeners who aren't as obsessed with him as we are, he was really interested in developing Disney partnerships, developing um, really strong partnerships with other brands outside of Disney that could strengthen Disney. Um, And so they had already had a partnership with George Lucas because Captain EO had just come out. It had opened in 1986. George Lucas you know, what worked on Captain EO. So go on, Kate, did you have something? So actually, whenever... speak in my podcast. (laughs) Actually, whenever they made this initial agreement, it was part of the agreement because Mikey was actually um, connected to George Lucas from his Paramount days because he was the one who was the CEO at the time at Paramount whenever they did Raiders of the Lost Ark. And none of the other studios wanted to invest the money in that film. So anyway, his whole agreement with George Lucas was, we want to do this attraction, but in addition to the attraction, we want you to, you know, produce the, you know, and create Captain EO. So it goes back as far as that, like in, I think 1984 was when they like greenlit the idea of of Star Tours, but that was a part of the deal with George Lucas. If we're going to do this before this ride comes out, we need to come up with some more entertainment in Tomorrowland. That'll be cool and hip for for teens. You know, it's always about the teens. So anyway, my point (laughs) is the two are connected. The, The story actually starts from basically the two came together. Like he was both were required, not required, but a part of this whole partnership that he was trying to make happen. So, and so again, that was, that was a Michael Eisner thing. But then I think also this was a huge thing that had never been done before. Disney Mm -hmm. had never brought another, brought an attraction in from another franchise. Like Star Wars was not a part of Disney yet, not even close. And it was huge that they did this because it showed how, Disney was trying to keep up with what was popular. At this time, the parks, not that they were like stagnant, but I don't think the leadership prior to Michael Eisner had invested much into um, bettering the parks. And when Michael Eisner um, came in, he was really invested in enhancing the parks. And so this was a huge huge addition to an area that really really needed it that they added something not just like oh this is a new ride but a ride that people I mean this like blew people's minds there were no rides like this at the time and we'll talk more about the actual ride and the ride system Mm. um but there was nothing like this it's kind of crazy like to imagine especially now especially over the past few decades of how big Disney has been in all aspects but um, right before Michael Eisner and Frank Wells became a part of, of Disney, they had that attempted hostile takeover. Um, and, you mm-hmm. know, Ron Miller was in charge back then, um, Walt Disney's son-in-law. And, you know, between the past decade and a half that they'd spent getting Walt Disney World rolling and things like that. It was like you said, things were stagnant. Like they they needed they needed some revitalization. And that's exactly what Michael Eisner and Frank Wells brought when they came in. 
I just watched the Imagineering Story episode where Frank Wells passes away, oh, and it breaks my heart every single time yep. when they show Michael Eisner. He was at some kind of you know conference talking about his their friendship, and he starts oh. crying, and it just it's I need to so watch it again. Sad, it's just so to feel sad. Something. Right? It's so <laughs> sad. But anyway, this was huge. This was a huge moment for Michael Eisner. This was a huge moment for the company because when we look back, this was the beginning of a really, really important partnership that would, you know, be a part of Disney for the next, you know, 30 years and now is permanently a part of Disney. So exactly, really, really cool. Well, and that's one thing that I've always admired about Mikey. I feel like he knew what what kind of networking connections he had, what kind of connections he had out there, and he he utilized them. He said, we need to get some new exciting stuff in the parks for the teens. We need the teens come to the parks. And he, you know, just called up George Lucas and and had something going. But, yeah, yeah, I, I it's crazy. I, did, I never realized this was the first non-Disney IP attraction because I'm so used to like MGM Studios where they started throwing in you know non-Disney IP stuff all over left and right Um, but that was you know years later. I think another really cool thing to talk about is the um, the ride vehicle the ride vehicles themselves so I'm sure a lot of people know by now but for those of our listeners who don't they were military grade flight simulators they were purchased for $500,000 each they were used for like advanced flight simulations for professionals you know pilots things like that but the Imagineers um you know, tested them in England. This company was really trying to get into the theme park industry and it just kind of worked out um, because they had first talked about, I guess, a roller coaster. They were saying it behind the attractions, mm-hmm. um, behind the attraction, not attractions. Um, they were talking about how they wanted a roller coaster, but they wanted to have like all different stories and you couldn't really fit multiple roller coasters into the space they had and it just wasn't working and they already had Space Mountain. And so it all kind of worked out. And they said, again, in the show that George Lucas, when he was walking around WDI, saw some of the storyboarding that was kind of going hand in hand with these new systems. He liked it. So they went out to England again and bought these systems. And um, I thought it was really cool in the show when the Imagineers were talking about how it was really fun and challenging because they could only build the story around what these simulators could do. Yeah. So... I thought that was pretty cool because there are always different obstacles in the way with every project. And that's one of the things that I think I picked up from working at Walt Disney World and working for the Walt Disney Company is a lot of times you hear guests saying like, oh, they should have just done this because this. And then when you work there, you're like, oh my gosh, there is a method to the madness. And there are so many more like loopholes and legal things and just like things that you would never think of that impact every single decision that's made. So I think it's really cool that behind the attraction and things like that and the Imagineering story kind of like peel back the veil on that a little bit and share a little Mm -hmm. bit about like what goes into all of these different decisions. Well, and it's, it's just like you said, I think especially since this was created originally for Disneyland, a, a park that is so limited on space and size, it made sense that obviously other than them already having Space Mountain, they were going to be in a much better 
place, especially trying to get something to, to be put up quickly um, to do something like a simulator versus a full blown roller coaster. Because I mean, look at Tron; it's been years and they've been working on that. It was something of this proportion that they had this idea for with the roller coaster. I can't even imagine how long that would have taken to create. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I I will say um, part of the research I did said that um randy bright who was um recently promoted to vp of shows and development for all of the disney parks at the time he was the one who kind of uh talked to tony baxter about the idea of the simulators because he had seen them while he was over in england oh another really cool thing i learned while doing research for this is that peewee herman was the voice of rex Mm -hmm. yes i did not know that So um, just a part of this process, like before it got created, but um, on September 29th, 1984, there was like a huge project meeting where all the Imagineers were going in and pitching their ideas for future attractions. Like we talked about before, Mikey was really looking for new stuff and he wanted Imagineers to give them their like best pitches. And um, so Star Tours was obviously one of the things that was pitched under the code name Cosmic Winds. Um, the project was greenlit on this day. And so were other ideas like um, a log flume attraction with the characters from Song of the South in the future <laughs> that would be known as Splash Mountain. So this was a big, big meeting. They pitched a lot of stuff and, and those are two of the attractions that were greenlit on that day. What a day in Disney history. Yeah. I'll have to keep that in mind for September. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, I thought that that was really cool. I loved Pee-wee's Big Adventure as a kid. Um, I would watch it all the time at my dad's house. One of those things when your parents are divorced and you go to the dad's house. And Anyway. Yeah. Um, so Rex was the original flight of Star Tours. Now we know it is C-3PO, who's a great fit as well. Um, and so he had to be really simple, they said, because he was going to be moving all day, every day. This attraction was really popular, so he was made simply. And then when they updated the ride, he was deactivated for a little while. And now you can see him again over in um, Oga's Cantina, which is pretty cool if you're a Star Wars fan. It's such a fun nod to Star Tours and what was there before. Um, and so I thought it was really cool, again, from behind the attraction which I was like I don't want this whole thing to be about behind the attraction but I have to credit where I got this information I thought it was really cool that they said it had to be film not video because video didn't really exist yet that was good enough and I was like wow that's really interesting because I didn't even think about the difference between film and video me either because you know I, I mean? it doesn't like, really correlate for us I don't think I was like oh video group. film it's the same thing but no it's not film is what's on actual film and video Mm -hmm. is completely different. Um, So I thought that was really cool. And they talked about how they used um, the film cabinet from Circle Rama, which was a stay a show at Disneyland, a circle show, like a, Circle, circle vision theater, a th- circle, circle vision show, circle vision. Yeah. show um, and how that was created by Ub Iwerks who I love anytime we hear him mentioned because mm-hmm. he um, I feel like he's like an even more unsung hero than Roy Disney yeah, um, but he agreed. was with Walt from the beginning and he was the like original artist one of the original artists and creators of Mickey Mouse and he literally stayed with Walt through everything so he's a pretty cool dude well, speaking of the film, um, the film would cost them $6 million, and it was shot on 17-millimeter film at 30 frames, 30 frames per second. So that's just a little trivia about that. But what I thought was so cool from when I watched the Behind the Attraction episode um, was 
that they had to work so hard to make it seem like it was a consistent shot the entire time because like Mm -hmm. they said it couldn't be you know splitting to different screens it it needed to be a point of view video so I thought it was really cool how they took the time to kind of break down a few of those points where they did make those cuts um, within the film to where the average eye wouldn't have noticed that kind of editing was done and it seemed like it was just one seamless shot for the average rider which is pretty darn cool if you ask me. I did want to say, though, um, before they chose Rex as the pilot, um, they had originally had the idea for a character known as Crazy Harry, which was supposed to be a veteran pilot from the Clone Wars era, but they felt like this would be, like, too stressful for the riders, and instead of having more of, like, a comedic, um vibe that rex did where it was like oh this is his first flight like the the idea of like crazy harry would have been you know intense like him doing crazy things because he was this veteran pilot versus it being like this is my first flight oops you know kind of thing okay so i've never heard of this crazy larry thing or crazy harry thing before but in the 90s at uh, Disneyland Space Mountain, in the queue, they had, like, these video screens that played, like, you know, space commercials and stuff like that. And one of them was for this guy who, I, I think it was, like, a space junkyard he was running, and his name was Crazy Larry. And my friends Kevin and Tim and I, who I actually saw them for dinner last night, but we used to go to Disneyland, like, 10 times a year in the 90s, and we were obsessed with this Crazy Larry guy. And I wonder if that you know if they're correlated in any way like if you know they were like crazy harry you know for star tours and then it somehow became crazy larry um at space mountain but or you know maybe crazy larry existed and they're like oh maybe we should add a crazy harry in you know to the ride next door yeah i wouldn't be surprised um but well one other like funny thing that i found whenever i was researching just talking about like Mikey naming attractions. Um, he wanted to name Star Tours Star Ride, apparently, but um, George Lucas had the final <laughs> say on the ride name, and that's why it's called Star Tours. Um, and also, the reason why we kind of go like in some backstage areas, like going the wrong way and stuff in the speeder for the film is because George Lucas suggested this because he loved seeing the backstage areas at Disneyland and he thought it would be like fun for the star tours, you know, for them to be going in these areas that they obviously weren't supposed to be in on their tour, like on star tours. So I thought that was kind of fun that he worked wow, that into it. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. I love that. Very, very cool. George Lucas is so smart. He when is. people talk sugar about George Lucas because of the prequels, it makes me want to punch them in the mouth whole. My jaw is dropped because how could anybody say anything about him? He's like such a genius. Also, I also like I am very, very um, particular that I think that the movies, if you're watching it for like your first time, you Mm -hmm. should be watching it in release order order, in release order because that's what George Lucas wanted and people will fight with me about it and they'll be like yeah but he also created the prequels me 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 and I'm like y'all are the worst (laughs) the worst fans ever anyways (laughs) um so do we want to talk a little bit about how they marketed this attraction I'm gonna let you talk about that girl um so honestly I couldn't find much which was disappointing so we know that they did the 60 days we know that they did this party ahead of time 
So there were events being done. And like we said, this was a huge deal. So obviously there was a lot of stuff advertising going on at the time. But I think what makes it difficult sometimes is this was a time of a lot of print ads. And I'm sure somewhere in the depths of the internet there are pictures but sometimes this is the hard thing about an attraction that's so popular or when we look up something that's not very um like forgotten about because there's so much information like if you look up star tours or star wars and disney there are so many years of partnerships that to hone in on like that original opening um I did find a really cool link that I will put in the show notes of 33 years of Star Tours posters. And Ooh. I really liked how the posters that I saw from the very beginning were like the adventure is real, like a partnership between, you know, Disney and Disneyland and George Lucas. And it really was very cute. Like if you've seen like a vintage Star Star Tours t-shirt, it had C-3PO, it had R2-D2, it had like the little speeder. It was really cool. But again, we know that they were doing a lot. I would imagine that there were a ton of billboards all over the area near Disneyland because that was kind of like their thing at the time. Did you find anything about like the TV special that they did before it launched? No. Caitlin Killebrew, did you? Yeah, well, I'm saying I'm saying because if you haven't seen it, you are going to want to go watch it after this. So this is some classic Mikey TV special type stuff. You know what I'm talking about. An I opening know, message from Mikey. About. He's raving about this new attraction, talking about how it's it's an amazing thing. I also thought it was interesting that the nomenclature for this particular TV special talking about the attraction was mm-hmm, mm-hmm, George mm-hmm. Lucas's Star Star Tours, not just Star Tours. So I thought it was Hell interesting yeah, it was. that they, they gave him possession for that nomenclature. But some of the features that I think are worth watching this little special, we'll go ahead and put a link in the show notes. There's a rapping C-3PO. He does a rap. For what? Um, about his new job um, at Star Tours because he's helping with with the tourism and the traveling. Anyway, he raps. Um, that's how it opens. There's a Mikey intro. That's always mm-hmm, great. Mm-hmm. Is he wearing um, Disney and Mickey merch or is he wearing Star Wars merch? He's in a suit. You know, it's more of a classy Mikey look. Mm, but he's very surprising. There's there was also an interview from George Lucas. Um, it was a very '80s vibe. Um, and then. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, history of space movies, question mark, because about halfway through, they're just showing like random vintage footage of like what looks like different space themed like (laughs) movies. And I'm like, okay, so I guess they were trying to tie in like, you know, space travel, futuristic. We've got a Star Tours attraction. But anyway, I thought this was really cool because this was a very like. 80s 90s Disney thing to do you put out this TV special for basically an hour on I think it was on ABC it came out and he's just talking about this new attraction it's basically just an hour-long ad for this new attraction they just don't do TV specials like they used to they really don't nope nobody could do it the way Mikey can honestly no like there's so many moments y'all this is a tangent for a second but like so many moments between these like milestone like 400 millionth guest thing or like the fact that they did this big tv special for like when the norway pavilion opened like there's so many little things like that that i'm like they would never now like they don't do anything like that these little Mm -hmm. tiny things to celebrate nope they put together a quick tiktok clip and a quick instagram clip and that's it (laughs) 
I was going to say, shit about dang. the Disney Parks TikTok. I was like, dang, you talk about the TikTok like that? Josie, boom, roasted. <laughs> no, but I guess what Instead I mean is... Instead of the TV special, you just made a one-minute TikTok, boom, roasted. <laughs> no, but I guess what I'm trying to say is they could so easily pull a page out of that book and just say, wow, we should really like do the two billionth guest walking through the gate gets, you know... Lifetime tickets or something, you know, they could, like they could easily do that because they know it was cool. I don't know, uh, but again, I, I don't a know. Lifetime what ticket. Me too. They were handing them out like candy every two or three years, apparently, with these two hundred <laughs> millionth and three hundred millionth and four hundred millionth. I was like, dang. I feel like they should have something like the millionth guest to ever ride Star Tours gets a lifetime fast pass to go on Star Tours. I wouldn't want a lifetime. I wouldn't want. <laughs> Honestly, as much as we're talking about it and Star Tours is great, I would not want that. I'd want it for the old version. I can't do the 3D. I'd I like, like the old oh, version better. Thank, yeah. thank you. <laughs> thank you for this. Ooh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, as far as additional marketing, I really didn't find anything. I did feel like the merch they put out was really great, though. And I'm really sad that I don't have any of that, like opening merch or or initial disneyland oh, star I want, tours I want merch. A, yes i want a star tours like original shirt so bad they're all so cute yes that would have been i would have my ass would have been there opening day just to get merch yep mm-hmm. me at negative six i definitely would have <laughs> gone <laughs> like i said i was one i don't know why my parents just like didn't have the foresight to be like, wow, our kid is going to love Star Wars someday. Maybe we should, you know, take him to this. Maybe we should buy him the shirt. I right. Just in case. Seriously. I have an opening day Indiana Jones adventure shirt, but where's my Star Tours shirt? Yeah, <laughs> I feel the same way, but about the 25th anniversary, like I tell my mom all the time, I was three. You should have known that I would want a medium adult, like... <laughs> 25th anniversary shirt, some maps. Like, this is common knowledge. I went for the Millennium Celebration, and I have no Millennium Celebration merch from, like, when I... A travesty. When I was there. Like, why didn't you get me any... Yeah, back when the merch was, like, the cutest thing in the world. Before we segue into what I'm assuming is more about the ride, I thought we should just highlight the building that the Disneyland version is in. Um, yes, please. Because this is a fun callback to one of our previous episodes in season one. Um, the building that it's in, it was uh, before this was Adventure Through Inner Space, which was sponsored by Monsanto. Um, and it was the first ride to utilize the Omnimover system at the Disney mm-hmm. parks, which when I was doing the research, I was like, no, that doesn't sound right. But it is right because this opened before Haunted Mansion and that was really the only attraction I could think of like with Omnimover, you know what I mean? And Haunted Mansion opened after Walt passed, so it would make sense. Anyway, um, and I talked about this earlier, but it was, um, it opened and was previewed to 2000 lucky Disney employees. Um, and then, they also apparently had a bu- Imagineers had a budget of one million dollars just for creating the queue area for Star Tours. So, of their thirty-two million dollar budget, one million of that was allotted just for the queue area for theming. That's pretty wow. Cool. I mean, and yeah, and in the queue area, um, they have like you know a replica of the Star Speeder. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, with with R two D two and C three PO. I C3PO, love the theme so. of the ride. I still think about this, and I'm like, I don't know if I would have thought about that. Like that, you're a person going on. Like it's just it's such a cool concept. 
Mm-hmm. It's well, so unique. Yeah, and that was that. Uh, that's what I think was really smart about them doing the theme of this attraction as like tourists getting to explore, you know, the Star Wars universe and travel to Endor and all of that because. You know, they wanted, they needed to come up with a way to include this awesome franchise and it be believable. I, I would say believable in Tomorrowland. Like, what, how would Star Wars be in Tomorrowland? So the fact that it's like a tourist, you know, like a way for you to go and um, travel on the Star Speeder to go, I thought that that was a cool concept. And apparently, that was George Lucas's idea as well for it to be like a tourist, like a tourism type situation. So cute. So for random things that are in the queue, they have two G2 droids, which are animatronic skeletons of the geese, two, two of the geese that were in the America Sings attraction. Um, they were stripped, stripped down animatronics. They actually have webbed feet, which is what's really funny. That kind of gives them away. But um, the rest of the animatronics for America Sings made their way over to Splash Mountain another attraction that was greenlit on the same day as Star Tours. I also found out that apparently the the R2-D2 and C-3PO figures that were in the queue area were um, actual props from the first film that were modified to be animatronics. So I thought that was a kind of cool thing, too. Oh, wow. I, I never knew that. So where, where do we want to go from here? Do we want to talk about opening dates and areas in the other parks? Do we want to talk about um, the closure and the re, you know the reimagining. The, the reimagining like all all of that? But like, where do we want to go next? I guess <laughs> I think we can talk about the net the opening dates in other places because I think it's really awesome and it shows just like how important and cool this ride was that it is in so many different places around the world because that doesn't just happen with all rides, you know? Yeah. So. Um, it's it's it exists in four of the Disney parks. The first one's Disneyland. Um, it opened on January 9th, nineteen eighty seven, in Tomorrowland. Then Tokyo Disneyland's version opened also in their Tomorrowland um, on January twelfth, nineteen eighty nine. So about two years later. Then next was in at the time Disney MGM Studios, now Disney's Hollywood Studios. It's in the Echo Lake area of the park. It opened on December fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine. And then the Which last is always crazy to me because yeah. I always feel like MGM was first just because it fits me so well. Me too. I like do it too. Fits the theming so well, it's so perfect. I it's, always think that that's the first one. It's so true. And I mean, you have to think it opened in December of the year the park launched. So this was, was apparently well in the yeah. works before the park even opened. So that's kind of cool. Also, December 1989, birth date of Taylor Swift. There you go. <laughs> Very important information. There you go. Um, and the last one would be in Disneyland Paris in the Discoveryland area of the park. Um, and it opened on April 12th, 1992, which was opening day at Disneyland Paris. So it was an opening day attraction at the fourth park that they put it in, which I thought was kind of cool that they wow. were that confident with it that they opened it with the park. And it shows, I think, not only that, like, it's a great ride, but it also shows how Star Wars really is, like, all around the world. Yes. Like, Star Wars really is something that's universal. People love it everywhere. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so I thought that was really interesting because, like you, I mean, of course, 
I did not think much about Disneyland until I was maybe a teenager because I always was just How going to Walt Disney you? World. <laughs> but it, it, I was surprised to see that it opened in two of the parks before it made its way to MGM. Which I guess MGM just wasn't open yet. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, but still, totally. I feel like it's such a Hollywood Studios ride that that, that always oh, yeah. throws me. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's always weird for me as a Disneyland local, you know, for my whole life, like, you know, Dis- you know, Star Tours has always been in Disneyland. And for in my mind, I always associate Disney's Hollywood Studios or MGM with California Adventure because they have a lot of similar rides and stuff. So it's weird seeing Star Tours there when, at, you know, for me, it's always been at Disneyland. But, you know, out in Florida, it's at like the the second park in, in yeah. my mind. Yeah, I can I can totally understand that mindset because for me, with the TV special that they had on Disney Channel, I mar- I, I saw DCA as marketed as our version, uh, their y'all's version of Hollywood Studios or MGM yeah. Studios at the time. So yeah, I know when I first visited Disneyland, seeing Star Tours in Tomorrowland was very odd to me in my mind. So I, yeah. I can understand the inverse for you. That does make sense. And it, mm-hmm. I feel like it would be such a weird thing if it was in Magic Kingdom. Yeah. It really You know what I mean? Like, that would have be worked. so weird if it was yeah. in Magic Kingdom. Yeah. Right. But then it's interesting, too, because in Disneyland, you know, they have Star Tours at Disneyland, and that's where they put Galaxy's Edge. And yes. in Florida, you know, at, at Walt Disney World, they put, they had Star Tours already at Hollywood Studios, and then that's mm-hmm. where they put Galaxy's Edge, too. So at least they kept them, you know, the parks consistent. Um, you know, on both coasts. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is crazy though, because I just assumed DCA was kind of like a movie type park too. And so see, I remember seeing it in Tomorrowland for the first time. I was like, what is it doing here? But it works. <laughs> it just works over there. I can't explain yep. it. It does. It truly, truly does. Maybe it's because that's where it was like first and we like, I don't know. It just <laughs> yeah. works. It just does. Okay, so what's next, Kate? Kate is has Kate um, is, has rallied and has you know she I, is she is running this episode. I'm not. I'm I'm not the as one my to brain be running is it. Pouring out of my ears. Well, I I thought we might want to touch on something that I know was highlighted in the behind the attraction episode, but in all the research I found too um, is that famous interview of George Lucas talking about how the great thing about this attraction is that can be updated every few years. Um, And that, that was the whole reason he was excited about the simulators that we could continue to update it. And we all know that it went on for decades as the same attraction. Um, So Mm -hmm. in my timeline, I have in 1998, George Lucas comes to the Imagineer saying that he wants new destinations. He suggests Tatooine because of the prequels coming out. And um, he wanted to do like a pod racing type sequence. And he wanted to be three. He wanted it to be 3D. He wanted the 3D goggles to be like to look like Anakin's pod racing goggles. Um, But the reason why this didn't come to be, which they talk about in the behind the attraction episode, but it would have outdated quickly. Like as soon as that, that sequence yeah. came out, people were going to see the second and third movie from the pre- prequels and want them to change it. So they figured they'd wait, you know, and see what was in the second. I want a pod racing theme. Even all these years later, I want, <laughs> I want pod racing, please. Well, they do have one um, where, where the guy throws the wrench at the, 
mm-hmm. at yeah. your windshield and everything. I just don't think I've seen it, at least not in a long time. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I did think it was interesting that here he was basically a decade after the attraction opened in Disneyland saying, okay, like, it's been some time. Let's change out the locations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until, um, I, I think they said in... 2005 at a Lucasfilm event he had talked about the idea of them working to change up the attraction and then at the D23 event in 2009 was when Disney came forward and announced that they would be closing Star Tours to launch what would be called Star Tours 2 at the time. Yeah and I remember as a kid Star Tours is one of the things I remember because I threw up after I went on Star Tours. I mean, I remember that's the you only time I've ever before. thrown up yeah. on a ride. And I was like, listen, I was like four really? at the time. But that's the only time I've ever thrown up on a ride is that I threw up after I went on Star Tours when I was four. That's wild because I loved, and I was not into Star Wars, Star Wars at all as a kid, but I loved Star Tours maybe because I just, maybe I liked the thrill ride aspect of it, the simulator aspect. I'm very lucky that I don't get any sort of motion sickness or anything. And I don't now, and I never have yeah. before or after. Like, that literally is the one time in my life that I have thrown up. So weird. I know. Yeah. But I actually, I know that I really do enjoy, like, the randomization of the new version, but I really did love the nostalgia of the original film, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the original version of Star Tours. There's just something about it for me. Um, So I guess closure dates of the original version, um, it closed first in Disneyland Resort on July 27th, 2010, and a little under two months later in Walt Disney World on September 7th, 2010. But before closing in Walt Disney World, there was an event, Last Tour to Endor. Did you guys know about this? No. (laughs) Wow. Well, let me tell you about it. (laughs) Um, So, in Disney's Hollywood Studios on August 14th, 2010, from 8 p.m. to 1 a.m., there was a special Celebration V attendee event, and Celebration V is the official Lucasfilm fan convention. So as a part of that convention, they had this last tour to Endor event. It was $75 to attend, and um, it was kind of like the last closing event before the ride would close in on September 7th. Um, they had like a closing ceremony with C-3PO, R2-D2, Boba Fett, and Darth Vader. Um, and then during the event, they had um, various things going on in the parks. They had the Bespin stage dance party, the hyperspace hoopla, the Death Star disco. They were big into alliteration for this event. <laughs> um, I can tell. They had, um, they had the Symphony of Stars fireworks show at midnight. They had Raiders of the Lost Jedi Temple of Doom. It was a fan film that was playing in the Indiana Jones epic stunt spectacular area. They had three showings that night. They also Let's had character appearances and they had special event merch it for this. It sounds like a blast. Yeah, so for 75 mm-hmm. bucks, you could apparently get into the park at 4 that day and the event was from 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. Um, then while the, while the event was going on, you could also ride like Toy Story Mania, Muppets, obviously great movie ride, 
Star Tours, and it says the American Idol experience. I guess that's true. I'm just having a hard time believing that they got... I mean, I guess they could have run, like, the auditions starting at the beginning of this. Anyway, logistically, I don't see how that would be running over Tower of Terror and Rock and Roller Coaster, but I digress. This is the information I found. Um, I really want to know why we didn't get a goodbye like this for the great movie ride. Right? I mean, they had that, they had that event. Who put on that event? They had that event where you could walk through for a great movie ride. Yes, but it was, it was for Disney Parks blog. Yeah. And the only way you could get it, it was like one of those things where they posted on their Twitter and then you signed up and it was like five people got it. Like, like not five actually, but like a very, very small amount of people got it. It wasn't something that you could, like, pay and anybody could go. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, because this was not, like, a Disney event. It was a Celebration V or, I guess, Celebration 5. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be the Roman numeral or or what. But it's Celebration V, the Lucasfilm fan convention event. So it wasn't technically a Disney event. But regardless, you could buy tickets. Um, But I thought that was really cool that they kind of, you know, made it a big thing that they were going to be closing down the old version and getting ready for the new version. Um, I love that. Last tour to Endor. Um, I want every, I want every <laughs> ride ending to have yep. yes, <laughs> a honestly, big celebration. Honestly. And $75 seems kind of reasonable too. Yeah. Yeah. To, you know, yeah. These current like after hours things. Well, I, I'd, pay, sure I'd pay, I'd pay $76 for that thing. <laughs> 70 what is the what, what year was this kate 2010 oh so, so it's been 11 years oh god isn't that crazy when you think about that like, oh that was a couple of years ago yeah i think like oh yeah and then i realized i graduated high school 11 uh, 11 or, you know 10 years ago so it was 11 years ago 75 dollars in 2010 is worth 93 dollars and 45 cents oh, so today cheaper still, still cheaper. cheaper yep wow um, yeah, I remember when they opened the new ones, what a big deal it was. And I think it is really cool that, like, you never know what you're, what scene you're going to get when you go on. And that it is really cool that you get to see things from, you know, the new films. Especially with the addition of um, Galaxy's Edge. Like, it, yes. it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so the new film um, is obviously called Star Tours. The Adventures Continue. It was, you know, a completely new film situation like movie wise it was not the normal film it was a 3d it was um randomized scenes um initially from all six films when it opened but now it features scenes from all nine films and batu i only ever i know it says all of them but i honestly only ever see stuff from the new films and batu i've never seen anything from like episode one through three i would be pumped i want a naboo okay i i, I love naboo before they added the sequel stuff, mm-hmm. um, I would get a lot of the times I would get the pod racing scene. I'd get the the underwater scene with Jar Jar Binks and like the crazy like fish that tried to attack you. I would get that what? a lot. Yeah. yeah. See, maybe I don't once... ride it enough. Yeah, I I will say um, I haven't I haven't ridden it since they added the Rise of Skywalker stuff. Um, so I haven't experienced it since then, I don't believe, but before well, that, we went on it in, uh, February. Oh, well then one time at, at Hollywood studios. Okay. 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 Well, you I don't, we're allowed to go on that ride. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm just in a silly goofy mood, but, but, um, I, I do remember I've seen the Jar Jar Binks underwater scene. 
I remember seeing um, the pod racing scene, but none of that meant anything to me before I saw the movies in 2019. I was literally just watching things happen. Um, for me, the only thing the only thing I ever think of whenever I ride this is that first when you first get caught and you're like, who's gonna catch us? My husband, Nick, wants so badly for it to be Darth Vader every single time, and it's never him. It's always that robot with the one eye and a million legs, and he gets so angry every time. So <laughs> that's all I think about with the new version. Did Nick say one time that he wants to just keep riding it over and over again yes. until he gets the Darth Vader part? He did. Which, speaking of, they talked about this in the Behind the Attractions thing, um, that it was... It was George Lucas who wanted the water to spray on people in the simulator. And so they they couldn't make that happen, but they did the Rebel Spy thing, which I think is so cool. I've never been the Rebel Spy. The other morning, I've I was the only person time. on it for work, you and I was the Rebel weren't? Spy then. Oh, I okay. The I was going to say you still weren't. <laughs> but, like, it didn't count because I was literally, like... I'll you know what, Josie? Put, put that in your resume. You were the Rebel Spy <laughs> in our hearts. So put it on your resume. I was the Rebel Spy once, but it was like midday on a weekday and there were like 10 people on the attraction. So that's why I was the Rebel Spy. But yeah, I I thought that was cool. But apparently this new version features, we know it features 10 locations, but 15 characters from the film. So definitely, definitely better for Star Wars fans, I would say, Um, instead of it just covering one aspect of the film franchise they have a chance you know to see a lot more of what the films in the universe has to offer i was the rebel spy one time at disneyland maybe five or six years ago with a bunch of friends but my eyes are so bad that like i was a rebel spy and all my friends started freaking out i'm like squinting to see like wait is that me up there but (laughs) apparently it was i can't (laughs) confirm it but they swear that i was the rebel spy so i'll take it I love that. Well, I think our chat of the Rebel Spy, do we have anything else? Or is this the end of our beautiful and wild Star Tours episode? Well, I had two more things. Um, So in 2012, um, they awarded the Star Tours, Star Tours The Adventures Continue with Most Outstanding Attraction Refresh by the Entertainment Association. Um, I didn't know about that before today, so I thought that was kind of cool. And then I thought we could just talk about how they went about opening the new version of the attraction in all four of the parks that it was in. So it opened in 2011. The the new version opened in 2011, first at Disney's Hollywood Studios, which is interesting since it was first from Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Um, about a month later, it opened in Disneyland. But it wasn't for another two years that they would put it in Tokyo, I guess because they were kind of testing how it was going to do in the U.S. parks and if it ain't broke, don't fix it over there. So they eventually opened the new version in 2013 in Tokyo. And then four years later in Disneyland Paris, they made the change over there. So, yeah, but I think, I mean, I think that pretty much covers it for me. That covers it for me as well. My brain it covers boom. it for me too. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm just I'm just in a silly goofy mood and my brain is goo. This was such a fun episode. I'm so excited for us to do a Star Wars and Disney partnership episode in the future. Yes. Me too. And we'll need to do an Indiana Jones and Disney partnership too, because yeah. there's so much to dive Indiana into. Jones, me. 
Oh my god. Okay. I wanted to um, watch it and I tried you guys need and I couldn't a new get sound into editor it. because I think <laughs> but, you guys do. <laughs> but I love Harrison Ford. Also, Forever. he's so cute. Yeah, I love I love the the Indiana Jones stuff in the parks. Also, I never um, I've never experienced it. Steve. No, you you yeah, you have What do you mean you haven't experienced it? We watched the show when we went to the 30th. Oh, I thought you were talking about the ride in Disneyland. You, you never the experienced a ride in Disneyland? Josephine made Josephine, you're telling me you drive to Disneyland and you didn't you went to Adventureland <laughs> and you didn't Disneyland one. I am I going to Disneyland tomorrow. <laughs> you go to MCO right now. You yeah. fly here. Okay. You okay. stay I'm over, leaving. and we will go straight on that Please, ride. Virtu- that virtual queue, and we will go on it first thing in the morning. That I'll sounds like a dream, LAX. honestly. I'll see you there. Bye, everyone. Going to California. <laughs> Just make sure you bring your dream and your cardigan to LAX. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone, before we go, you can find us on Instagram at Carousel Project Podcast if you want to talk about any of your Star Tours, Star Wars memories with us. And as usual, if you loved this episode, especially if you know somebody that loves Star Wars or Star Tours, please share this episode with them so they can enjoy. And if you like what you've been listening to on our podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And by review, I mean a little bit of wording and a star rating because the wording helps helps with the review. It helps let Apple know people are out there listening to the podcast so we can get out to more people and do even more stuff with Carousel Project Podcast. Yes, even leave us a review telling us whether or not you've been the Rebel Spy. Put that, that would be on great. iTunes and we, we will go look for it there and we will know that you are amazing for doing that for us. It's true. And we love you all. Bye. 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 Thank you for flying Star Tours. Bye bye.